0: All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 114 114. It's Sunday night. There's so much going on. We wanted to talk to you. We're going to have ourselves a guest. I could see my co host. My name's Bob Echieri. I've got Sirius. He's going to be joining us. And then we're going to be joined by the Athletics, Chris Vanini. He's going to be joining us. Return guest. We talked to him a bit in the offseason, but there's so much going on right now that we figured let's have someone come in and join us. I know he's. Wrapping up an article, because some of you might have seen this evening, North Texas decided to fire Seth Luttrell effective immediately. He went 44 and 44. Perfectly even record over seven seasons. He just lost the Conference USA title game to UTSA. And I think they just kind of ran out of patience at North Texas. So that was kind of a I wouldn't say a shocker, but certainly not a um, not a termination we expected. So we got that going on as well. Sirius have been able to make it up. I have. I'm here. Yeah, so lots going on today. I mean, obviously, again, if you'd like to also join us, you're always welcome to hit uh, request. We can talk to you there. But, you know, what really struck you this championship weekend? I mean, I think it was
1: interesting. We started off with two upsets in the P5 matches um, with USC losing to Utah. And honestly, I think getting a little bit embarrassed. um, We kind of expected, I think a lot of us thought that some of the things that had plagued Lincoln Riley's teams when he was at Oklahoma, specifically the lack of defense. Um, it didn't seem like he was doing much to address that when he went to USC, um, you bring over the same defensive coordinator who back when he was hired, Alex Grinch was supposed to, you know, revolutionize Oklahoma defense. He was supposed to fix the problems, get them back to, you know, having a stout defense. And it just didn't seem like it ever appeared. And I think maybe people thought, well, you know, big 12 is a high flying offense kind of conference. Um, They're having to go up against elite passers, things like that. And then he gets to to USC, and it's more of the same. And I think probably the most shocking thing in that game for me was the total lack of effort by the USC defense, unless it was something for kind of like a flashy play where you could get a turnover. Um, Guys just – they weren't tackling. They weren't trying to wrap up. Um, Utah players were just blowing right past them or through them time and time again. And it just turned into into a route by the end of the game. Um, and then, oh, man, that Kansas State TC, TCU game was just outstanding. Um, you hate it for for Max Duggan. Game got taken out of his hand there at the end. A lot of, uh, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking going on as far as that goes. But uh, what a thrilling game um, coming right down to the wire. And uh, that was that was pretty awesome. Um, Georgia did Georgia things to LSU. Um, Michigan. (laughs) All I can think back is is we shared this this, uh, um, comment on on the subreddit a while back about um, watching a Michigan game is like seeing a psychopath drowning a ferret. Ferret. Ferret in a bathtub um, where, you know, at first there's a lot of commotion and there's water everywhere, and the ferret draws a little bit of blood, and you think, hey, maybe he's going to get out of this, but then the psychopath's grip just keeps getting tighter and tighter. And I think yeah, that that's it, that's how it is this year with with Michigan, right? Like in the first half, especially, they kind of start off a little bit slow. Um, teams that should be pretty easily outmatched are hanging with them, maybe even have a lead, and then the second half comes around, and Michigan just, you know, the grip gets tighter and tighter. And they choked the life out of them until, you know, you look at the final score and it it looks like they had it in hand, you know, most of the game. But, uh, yeah, I think that was kind of we all kind of got excited. (laughs) Like, Purdue's hanging with them, right? (laughs) Purdue's leading.
0: I have to actually ask you a quick favor. We have a funny situation here with Twitter being in the state it is. I can't see any of the guests on my account. However, I logged in on my computer and I can see Chris is in the audience. Can you see him? And if not, can you log out and log back in? Because I can't do that. I'm the host. If I do that, I'll accidentally end the space. Okay, so I saw Chris when he hopped on. I sent him an invite to be a speaker. I am here now. Ah, there we go. Okay, there we are. I'm not. It's this is this is classic, isn't it? We're just doing these to see until Twitter finally goes kaput. Because I literally right now can only see that there's me, Sirius, and you know all the. You know the other listeners, which typically means people who you know I can't see. So I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I looked on the computer and then I saw you're you're on it, and I'm like, "Okay, well, this is this is kind of this is typical." But how are you doing?
2: Good. Uh, tough timing with uh, North Texas making a change tonight, but I should be all good. I've got the job profile. Basically, written as I actually wrote it last year when they were one and six and starting the year, and it was looked like Seth Luttrell was about to be fired. Instead, they oh, won, yeah, I remember that. Instead, they won their final uh five games to get to a bowl game and uh had an okay
0: upset UTSA, yeah,
2: yeah, had an okay year this year, uh, almost won Conference USA, but uh, ultimately, school feels like it it should be better than it is uh, at this moment, and it's it's notable the, the schools only had three winning seasons since 2005 um, not including this year currently at seven and six but, but two of those came under latrell with mason fine at quarterback but uh you know last couple years six and six six and seven seven six the program feels like it, it can be a lot better with it's got really nice facilities r- a lot of money put into there they're ready to make a big jump and they just didn't feel like latrell was a guy to do that
0: absolutely you know in your opinion what well, I mean what's been the biggest surprise in terms of who was fired so far?
2: Um I don't think there have been that many surprises. Uh I'm trying to trying to think there's not there hasn't been met, like there's always going to be a couple big surprises like even now there's, this makes this makes number 18 and 18 is a pretty low number there could be more there always is going to be more there will be some some big ones at the end but as I'm kind of looking through the list in terms of guys getting fired, nothing. I mean, David Shaw, but but that was kind of like kind of going around for a while that he could step down. He obviously wasn't fired. I, I wasn't surprised by Western Michigan or UNLV. Probably the biggest one was Wisconsin, and that was that was during the season.
1: That was the one I was going to guess was was Paul Chris getting fired. I mean, turns out they made a huge, well, uh, potentially a huge upgrade. Being able to lure Luke Fickle, I mean that's a pretty, yes. pretty big uh, achievement. So I think that's probably like the splashiest hire so far. You know, with this round.
2: Yeah, no, that was you know that was a spot where you know when when Chris gets fired, everybody says, all right, it, it's going to be Leonard. Leonard's the guy. And the way I put it at the time was, it's Leonard's job to lose. Like he can get this job, but it's going to be a real search. Like, they hired a search firm. They talked to coaches over various weeks and stuff like that. Like, this was not just, you know, see how it goes and then we'll just give them the job. No, like, they they were running an entire search. There were a number of folks involved who were talked to about it. Obviously, Luke Fickle was one. Lance Leipold was another. And with the way things kind of finished up for Leonard, you know, they get blown out by Iowa. They barely come back to beat Nebraska. And you're thinking at this point, like, he hasn't exactly – done a great job to win the job they lost to michigan state as well and then they closed with a loss against minnesota and you're like this guy went four and three like this is not that inspiring of an interim tenure it looks like a lot like it did before chris got fired and ultimately when you're able to get luke fickle uh, a guy who took a cincinnati to the playoff you do that and i think that was a huge huge addition for wisconsin
1: do you think that if wisconsin had the ability to get fickle was there any scenario where Leonard keeps that job I mean if even if he wins out every single game from the time that he gets the interim tag do you still go with fickle in that case just because I mean you can
2: if, if Jim Leonard went what seven and0 as the interim coach I think he'd have to get the job even if it was six and one or something like that I think you would he'd, he'd have to get the job we've seen interim coaches turn things around like Brent Key Won the job at Georgia Tech. They were way better after they fired Jeff Collins. That wasn't the case with Jim Leonard at Wisconsin. And they were not exactly going up against a murderer's row of opponents. Again, it was Iowa, it was Nebraska, Michigan State, you know, not exactly like a ton of difficult opponents. So, yeah, Leonard certainly could have won the job. I, I absolutely uh, believe that. Um, but it just wasn't to the level where. I think they'd be comfortable with going, going with them. And with it, with it looks like Leonard sticking around as defense coordinator, it looks like that ends up being an even bigger deal. now you got both of them. So it really worked out.
1: The Georgia tech situation was kind of interesting because, I mean, there was a lot of smoke about Willie Fritz going there, you know, for, for a, probably a solid day or so. And then poof, that disappeared. He's staying at Tulane. Of course, When's conference championship this weekend and then georgia tech sticks with with their interim and it seems like maybe it was a little bit of a kind of a win-win where tulane gets a guy who's obviously passionate about that job georgia tech gets somebody who had a really remarkable turnaround for that team this year considering how they started how they looked at the beginning of the season um we'll see how he does you know with a full season um to run the run the ship himself though
2: yeah, Georgia Tech was this is where like that timing all comes into play. Cause a, a year ago, you know, Northwest I'm sorry, Notre Dame wanted to make a quick hire when Brian Kelly left. Luke Fickle didn't want to do that while he was preparing for the conference championship game. And they end up going with Marcus Freeman. And from my understanding is that um Georgia Tech kind of wanted to get this done in and basically like Not to say Willie Fritz can't coach the the Championship game, but they wanted to have a guy in place. Say, we've got our coach. The transfer portal opens up on uh, tomorrow, you know, December 5th. We got to have our guy, and and that's it. And there were maybe some uh, misgivings over financial situations with the deal, but also that Willie Fritz didn't want to be announced as Georgia Tech's head coach when. He still had a championship game to play with Tulane. And, and that's where it really puts a crunch on these coaches. You, you've got obviously Jamie Chadwell takes the Liberty's job right after he coached at Coastal Carolina. Even last year, Billy Napier took the Florida job before he coached the championship game at Louisiana. And it's really a lot of the group of five coaches or if you have coaches who are moving up to a bigger job and you've got a conference championship or something to play, that's just, it puts the kids in a really bad situation and I, I hate it for everybody involved but but at the same time, like you understand it by the coaches in the schools because these things have happened so quickly, transfer portal windows or early signing period, like you got to have your coach in place before the season is over, and that's just I think not a good way to run things. But it's the way college football cobbled together its schedule.
1: You kind of get vibes of the whole, you know, Les Miles is going to Michigan. you you know, the announcement coming out the day of LSU playing in the SEC championship game um, or the, the eve of, of that game. And, you know, that's kind of enough to just blow the whole thing up because the coach has to change his mind and say, you know what? Nope. I'm here. We're focusing on, on winning this championship first. Um, And it kind of scuttles the whole idea of making that change just because of, again, you know, like you said, the timelines just don't match up. Right.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think it was Brett Bielema who once said that if his name comes out, if he's talking about, if he's interviewing for another job, and his name comes up in the media and it gets leaked, he's out. He he he's getting out of there. He he's not going to be involved in that because he can't trust the people involved. And you know, kudos to him for that. I mean, I'm pretty sure his hire at Illinois maybe also came out. I mean, obviously the, his move from Wisconsin to Arkansas came out of the blue, so good to him for that the problem is there's just so many working pieces involved the leaks are generally not coming from the coach or the athletic director it's people who are kind of on the peripheral in that process so it's uh yeah but it's just you know these things happen quicker shoot last year we had georgia southern and yukon hire coaches while hire coaches while the season was going on like like clay helton got down there early Jim Mora started going to the games with the team you know while while things were going on there and, and ultimately it worked out both both made a bowl game both you know improved that next year but I just hate it for the kids because you know either you're fired coach midseason and that means the administration is basically punting on the kids on that team like we've given up on this season and that's that really sends a bad message to the kids about never giving up and then the flip side is if they're playing for the conference championship and the coach is leaving the coach, doesn't, you know, his full undivided attention is not exactly there. And I I think you see what happened with Liberty in New Mexico State. You see what happened in the Sunbelt Championship game, although I do think Troy is a very, very good team. Uh, It's just, it really sucks for the kids, and I hate it.
1: Speaking of timing, with this North Texas news coming right after the Meta Conference Championship game, do you think that this is an indication that the admins there maybe have their mind set on someone that – you know, this wasn't just a well. We're disappointed with the season. We're going to fire him and, and start a new coaching search, um, or that it was more of a, a targeted. We've already kind of got somebody on our short list, and we want to strike now. Situation.
2: Yeah, there's there's kind of two ways to look at it. One is since Ren Baker, the AD, is not there, the president can do what he wants and make make the decision how he wants to do it, um, or the or the reverse is that the AD would have done it anyway. So I. Whether or not, like, this job was talked about for possibly being open for a while. The problem was, North Texas kept winning Conference USA games. You know, there was a stretch from 2021 to 2022 where they won 10 of 11 conference games. And when it became pretty clear that they were going to make the conference championship game, you can't fire them during the season. You know, had, had they, uh, had they uh, lost to Rice, not gone to the Conference USA championship game, That would have been an easy situation. Oh, you know, we we blew this. Good time to do it. Boom. But you make the conference championship game. You can't fire him then. Play things out. Hey, maybe if they win that game, he ain't getting fired. You know, they're not firing the coach after winning conference USA. But the loss, kind of being lopsided by the end, I think ultimately gave the 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 cover where to go. The name, you know, the one of the names that's been around this job for a while is Justin Fuente. Uh, He's an Oklahoma native obviously former Memphis coach, former Virginia tech coach. Uh, I saw him at a TCU game this year. Uh, he used to coach there. He was in town. Some people, he, he may have kind of moved back to the area, uh, the DFW area while he's not coaching. So that might help. Um, he's been around that, uh, Garrett Riley, the offensive coordinator at TCU will obviously be a name to watch. He's a broils award finalist, done a great job, coached SMU, coached at TCU. You might as well hit every school in the DFW, uh, area, I guess. And, uh, I think those are the two names probably going to be most featured prominently or at least uh, North Texas may be interested in.
0: Absolutely. You know, by the way, for those of you listening, uh, we were able (laughs) while Sirius was taking over some of the talking, I reset my app and I can now I can see Chris and Sirius, but I can't see the audience. However, I've noticed people are putting questions in the comments, uh, which you know I and I I, we are reading them and we'll try to ask a few of those as well. In fact, before we move on to talk a bit about the playoffs, um, Chuck asked, you know, if have you heard any news about Dan Mullen to uh, I guess as an OC role taking it uh, potentially. he says SC, but I'm not sure if, if he means South Carolina there. But what have you heard about Dan Mullen? Because he's popped up several times. I mean, he's one of those great free agents, you know, like, uh, gosh, Tom Herman, where he would, they were being named for different roles. And, of course, obviously, uh, he's now – I mean, Herman's now at FAU. What have you heard about Dan Mullen? Uh,
2: he is a guy who I think knows he can afford to be picky. Um, I don't believe his buyout had any – Offset, so he didn't have to do that. He's got a cushy ESPN gig that's working great there. He did a decent job at Florida; like it wasn't terrible. He went to three New york Six bowl games. He's not someone who needs to maybe uh, take some Group of Five job or even maybe an offensive coordinator job. He did a pretty good. He's he has a very good record as a coach. You kind of sit it out while at ESPN, rehab your image a bit, um, and then find the right spot. I think UAB might have been interested. I don't think he was interested in them. Um, but yeah, not haven't heard his name around much otherwise at this point.
0: Okay, you, you mentioned UAP. We gotta ask, what's your thoughts on Trent Delfer?
2: I can see how he talked his way into the job. He is he is a <laughs> he is he is a very good public speaker. He's done this for a very long time. And if you watch that press conference, um you could see like, all oh, right, this guy knows how to like get people Excited. I, I had the same thought watching the Deion Sanders press conference at Colorado, where it's like, all right, this guy knows how to do the the public speaking type of thing. Like you can see, uh, obviously Dion has been a head coach and won at Jackson State, but you could kind of see how that came together. It's just a very odd story. I mean, like I said, UAB took some big swings, did not get a lot of interest back, and the way things did, came together with Trent Dilfer was that the AD just called up Trent Dilfer one day. I think he said a local businessman may have connected the two of them, but he just called them and it was supposed to be like a 10 minute chat. They end up talking for like an hour and a half. And the AD just like Mark Ingram just falls in love with this guy. And they talk some more and they talk some more and you realize, all right, Trent Dilfer, <laughs> you get him in the room to talk to somebody. He could probably convince you of, of something.
0: That's hilarious.
2: And, and that's what he did. I mean, he, you know, People up in Tennessee vouched for him as a coach and and that type of deal, and you know I I think uh, some of the QB training he's done, like I heard, like Tua may have Tua Tagovailoa may have been involved or at least said something really nice about him, and you know, like it's just it's it's weird. UAB is a good job, should be a very good job. The facilities are very nice. It's moving into the American. It pays pretty well, at least for the head coach. The staff might be a little bit different, but it pays well for the head coach. And you expected them to get something bigger done. I mean, you look at some of the other hires that were made in the cycle uh, at uh, a, a group of five spots. You know, Jamie Chadwell goes to Liberty. You know, it, it, it feels like UAB maybe could have done a bit better. I know some people are incredibly down on the Dilfer hire. I, I I don't know what to expect. It's probably not going to work because most coaching hires don't work. But Trent Dilfer's done a lot of things that people didn't expect him to do, and so I wouldn't exactly um, count him out at least. Yeah,
0: I think I think the most surprising thing about it was I know um, the AD Mark Ingram had said he interviewed at least twenty five people, and then you know you're like oh wow they'll probably have a really well grounded selection and you're just kind of like okay this is the this is the shocker of the entire (laughs) coaching cycle but again I wonder if that's how the call went like you know you seem really nice would you like the job (laughs)
1: I'll just say as a a, you know Tennessee native that it was really surprising to see you know the first like real Tennessee high school coach to make the jump up that quickly was somebody at Lipscomb Academy um (laughs) because there've been some really good uh head coach like football head coaches that have run, you know, absolute powerhouses um that just haven't really gotten any attention. So, I mean, uh, George Quarles at Maryville. they I mean, like if you played for him, you were gonna, probably going to get at least 3 championship rings um in your high school career, if not 4.
2: Yeah, well, I, I, like the, now I, he's a, I, I, he's at
1: yeah. ETSU now. So, but yeah. he had to go to he had to go to Furman as right. a position position coach and like work his way up and it took him, you know, four years basically in order to get a yeah. shot at at a higher level thing, which um making the jump from a small private school straight up to UAB, that's 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 a, a big leap. But obviously, yeah. Yeah. he's got some other stuff with, you know, not notoriety and things like that that, that helps out a lot.
2: Right. Being a high school coach is not is not why he got the job. If he had been a bad high school coach, he wouldn't have gotten the job. But he's he's got the job because he's a former NFL player. He's on TV a lot. He does the Elite 11. He did the opening. He's very involved in a lot of QB recruiting. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get five-star quarterback recruits to come to UAB, but that's that's the kind of stuff that ultimately got him the job. The fact that he was a pretty good high school coach, you know, building that program up from what it was, helps and if i I, i'm not an expert in tennessee high school football my understanding is they're are they moving up they're moving up to a bigger tougher division next year right
1: Uh, the private schools are in their own because they can offer essentially scholarships so um i think there's a there's two divisions for private schools okay so yeah that's uh, that's my understanding that was you know it's kind of like a separate like there's division one division two and they're in the division two i think and um, it's kind of its own little world with with them and, and some of like the Nashville and Knoxville private schools that um, uh, like Webb, which is where uh, former Jets quarterback actually came out of there. Um, but yeah,
0: that their, their own little ecosystem as you well. Know, you know, Chris, when you were kind of describing what potentially made Dilfer attractive, I was thinking that's we were when we first heard that announcement, it was actually during when we were having just sort of an open mic talk last Tuesday, and we were trying to even think, what, what's the last high school coach to jump being from a head coach directly to being a head coach of a college team? Not not going sideways and taking, you know, a, a being a high school head coach and then becoming a position coach or an offensive coordinator. I mean, going straight, straight through. And the only one I could even think of that was successful was actually Dion. Because, I mean, he well, they yeah. hired him out. of... But other than him, I mean, we always think of, you know, Jerry Faust, we think of um you know sanchez at unlv we we think of guys uh that that fiasco north texas itself went through you know it, it's so rare to see anyone do that so part of me made you, the way you described delfer maybe think even of a little bit about Deion sanders I'm not saying quite the same but i wonder if that also made that option seem a little less crazy um because you could always say hey you know he made the jump up and granted you know jackson state was arguably a tougher job than uh UAB you know moving up to it but I want to just change gears a little well, bit because real, real quick oh, on that. I,
2: I don't want to make a comparison on that uh, it is similar to Dion because he's a former NFL player like there, there's just there's a different part of that uh, but Dion also wasn't a head coach at the at Trinity Christian uh, here in the Dallas area he was the offensive coordinator actually so he had, he went from high school assistant to, to college head coach. Um, but it, that is the most similar one. The, the, I think the last the, the last high school head coach to go to FBS head coach was Tony Sanchez at UNLV that uh, did not go well because it's UNLV and they don't typically win. Um, before that, probably Todd Dodge at North Texas, North which, Texas, which is also a disaster. So not a not a great track record. But again, the only NFL guy to compare it to is the one who just got the Colorado job. So exactly,
0: so. exactly.
1: So what
2: are
0: you? This is of- a. Oh,
1: this is this is prime prep Erasure I'm just gonna go and throw that out there so
2: <laughs> well, like there was here, here in the Dallas technically area, the head coach <laughs> well yeah and like speaking of North Texas like there were some people who thought he might be a guy for them or that there were people around North Texas who wanted to hire him because he is a former Dallas cowboy and high school coach in the Dallas area where, where I live but also prime prep turned a lot of people off of him for a while. So like school presidents did not want to be associated with that. That was a complete mess that messed up some, you know, kids' lives. And and so the idea that, hey, why did nobody hire Dion before, blah, 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 like that that turned a lot of presidents off. So like there, there it wasn't just because he's, you know, out there and being Dion. That wasn't the only reason he didn't get bigger jobs. But no, prime prep is definitely something to always keep in mind.
0: Um, what are your thoughts on the way the CFP handled the the final four teams, as well as you know? Well, we can move on to other bowls after that. What do you think? Did the did the top four work this year?
2: Yeah, in, in, in most years it's easy. most years it's ne- we debate throughout the year, and then we get to the end of the year, and it's a pretty easy top four. That's other than the first year, uh, other than the first year, 2014, and maybe those years we felt like UCF should be in. Other like it's been very easy to do this, and, and it was TCU should have been should have been ahead of Ohio State. It made sense to keep them at three. I didn't love USC playing a Pac-12 championship game and then moving down, but they lost to the same team twice. So like you'll see in my 131 rankings that come out tomorrow, USC is behind Utah because they have to be behind Utah because they lost to them twice. So that so that's there was no choice. It, it was an obvious top four, and it honestly is obvious most years we got, we get all. Been out of shape during the year, and forget that by the end of the year, it's usually pretty simple. Do
1: you do you think perceive- that we're going to make it through the four team CFP era with no two win teams making it, or two, sorry, two loss teams making it into the, the top four? Because um, the the window is narrowing, and um, looking back, you know some comparisons got made back to when um, two win two loss LSU won it all. Um, just how chaotic that season was, and we just haven't quite matched that.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, there's only one more year left, 2023, because then by 2024 we're in the the 12-team playoffs, so there's only one year left for a two-loss team to get in that is kind of wild thing, but I, I think that just goes further to prove how crazy 2007 was and just how unique of a, a season that was and how unlikely it is to ever happen again. But this year, season. Yeah, this year at times felt pretty close. You didn't get the upsets of number one, number two, but you got upsets pretty much everywhere else. And as a result is, yeah, you had uh two loss LSU going into the final week of the regular season with a chance to make the playoff. Ultimately it didn't happen, but, uh, I'm going to say no, just because the odds are very
0: low, but uh, it got close. What do you think? I mean, one of the questions in the comments, and I, I've never really thought of it myself, but I, I'll, you know, I want to share it. Do you think that the 12 team playoff is going to be the future, or is there any chance after a few years they're going to maybe consider expanding it beyond 12?
2: Well, we don't know what the contract is yet. They have not. We, they haven't created the contract for 2026 and beyond yet. That is still something they need to work out. That'll include who broadcasts it, what the revenue stream is, what the bowl situation is. Technically, all we have in place right now is 2024 and 2025. So how long is that contract? We'll see. This They're still in the first CFB contract. It was a – it started, what, 2014. It was a 12-year contract to do that first playoff. And obviously they ended up expanding before they got to the end of it. So do they look at that and say, let's do a shorter deal, you know, for competition purposes, for potential change of purposes, or do all those other conferences say, no, we want a long-term deal because we don't want a situation where the big 10 and the SEC could get out of it and create their own super league, super playoff or whatever. So we don't, we don't know yet how long it's going to be, Post twenty twenty six, they still have to figure out that contract. I it, it could go, it it could be eight years, it could be ten, it could be twelve. Honestly, don't know. But, but I think the way twenty twenty four and twenty twenty five go could impact how people feel about things. Bill Hancock left the door open to potentially play quarterfinals on home sites uh, if it goes really well in twenty twenty four. Basically, so we'll 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 see. We we don't know yet.
0: I'm just glad they're they're somewhat open to making those adjustments because it doesn't feel like before it always felt like no. In fact, we've never envisioned ever doing anything else. And you're kind of like, okay, this is almost like forced tunnel vision when you're talking to them and hearing their answers. So it, in a way, it's a bit of a relief to even get that, frankly, out of them. I don't know.
2: Yeah, well, it's it's funny because I asked Bill Hancock, like, hey, do you think this expanded playoff will or has you know, will hurt the regular season? And he said, no. I think the, the playoff has obviously been great for the regular season. And, and I went back and looked back. I, hey, when this guy was the BCS director, you know, he said he didn't want a playoff because it was going to hurt the regular season. So, like, you can't really buy yeah, he... buy what those people say because they're just going to say whatever is best for what they're exactly. doing. Exactly. Of, of course, the guy who's in charge of the playoff feels like the playoff has been great for the regular season
0: you know chris i just wanted to do a quick time check with you do you have time for a little bit more uh, chat yeah
2: yeah i'm i'm good right now by the way while this is going on uh, michael Penix jr coming back next season for washington Ooh. i love that oh
0: that's going to be great do you think he's i know a lot of folks in washington really wanted to see him get a, a an invite to new york i'm not sure if yeah. that'd happen but certainly one more season can't hurt because he he definitely had some moments this season
2: yeah no he, he, the thing with the heisman ballot i filled out my ballot today like the hardest thing is not picking. The hardest thing is usually not picking the winner. It's picking two and three because you you want to pick five guys. It's hard to narrow down that two and three. I wish we got five options. I wish they invited five people to the ceremony every year, just so we can honor as many players as possible in this situation. Because there's so many guys who deserve it, and Michael Penix Jr. was one of those guys.
0: Absolutely, you know, when we're looking at the rest of the New Year Six, which of those matchups has you the most intrigued? I'm sorry, you
2: said the New the New Year Six?
0: Yeah, yeah, the rest of the uh, the Big Bowls.
2: Uh, it's either Kansas State Alabama because I'm curious if all of Alabama is going to opt out, and it could be a Kansas State beatdown, so to speak, uh, or maybe USC Tulane because. We know USC can put up points, but they can't stop anybody, and I think Michael Pratt in that offense against the USC defense could be a lot of fun. I'm probably going to be at that game, the Cotton Bowl here in, here in Dallas. Uh, I think those, those stick out to me for unique reasons.
0: You know, I'm really excited to kind of see the tire statue they're going to make for Tulane. I mean, I've seen the USC one uh, before. Yeah. They've been there before, but I'm kind of yeah. curious to see if they're going to make the, the angry wave out of tires. Um, I hope that's wow. what they pick.
2: Probably the biggest one they've ever had to make.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Penn State one was kind of tiny. You know, a little cougar. Let's have something huge. Let's have a a giant, you know, anthropomorphic wave. Um, Holding a, you know, (laughs) holding an announcer's tube or whatever you call it. Um, Gosh. You know, how about with the rest of the Bulls? And I know we we may have someone coming up to talk, but I mean, with the rest of the Bulls, which ones have got you interested? I mean, there's some, because there's some intrigue. There's usually intriguing matchups every year. But, you know, some of these I, I have got me raising my eyebrows and I'm curious what you're thinking.
2: Well, I'm starting with the Cure Bowl,
0: which is the second bowl
2: on the schedule, and yet it's a ranked matchup between Conference USA champion UTSA and Sunbelt champion Troy. That's going to be an awesome game. I, I wish, that I think it's I think it's like Friday afternoon or something like that. I just I hope people watch that game. Those are two 11-2 teams. I'm very excited about the Cure Bowl. Also, the Las Vegas Bowl, Oregon State, Florida. Can, is Oregon State going to run the ball down the throats of, of Florida? Can can a Pac-12 school do that against an SEC school? We don't see Pac-12 SEC very much, so that'll be fun. Florida State, Oklahoma for the brands. That's just anytime those two teams come together. In the Cheez-It Bowl, <laughs> which is... Still weird. And then yeah, speaking, so of, speaking
0: of brands, yeah. And, <laughs> and,
2: and then speaking of Michael Penix Jr., the Alamo Bowl, Washington versus Texas. Um, I don't. I guess we don't know if B. John Robinson will play in that game, but um, I assume Michael Penix will uh, since he's coming back. So that'll be exciting too. So, yeah, there, there are, honestly, I think those bowls are often some of the most interesting kind of as it plays out rather than some of the New Year's Six.
1: You also have, you know, with the Holiday Bowl, you've got North Carolina versus Oregon. Uh, Dan Lanning says Bo Nix is going to be back for the bowl game, which some people are interpreting as he may also be planning on coming back next season. Um, So that could be interesting with, uh, with obviously if Drake may comes and plays for North Carolina, a couple of uh, big name passers in that game.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, Obviously Drake may is going to be back next year. That's that North Carolina is weird. They've been a weird team the last three weeks, but that should be a game with a lot of points. Uh, Holiday Bowl usually delivers. I don't, is that game still on? Is that game on ESPN? Wasn't the Holiday Bowl usually like on Fox or its own? It's like one of those few bowls that's not on.
1: It's on Fox, on ESPN. yeah.
2: It's on Fox, yeah. It always stands yep. out because you like forget about it because it's kind of just off doing its own thing.
1: It'll be uh, 8 p.m. on Fox, and then um, lined up opposite on ESPN is the Texas Bowl with Texas Tech and Ole Miss.
0: Yeah the, other, yeah, the other misfit toy is the Sun Bowl, which is always on CBS. And it, I still remember watching some of the most confused commentary when they'd have, like, Gary and... Uh, uh, <laughs> I still remember when... <laughs> I was watching a U.S., that, that fiasco where um, Lane Kiffin kind of looked like the Unabomber on the sideline. <laughs> um, I forgot who they were playing. Oh, my gosh. It was, yeah, it was Georgia Tech. Because it looked like USC had never played the triple option or even known that, that you know, <laughs> Paul Johnson was going to be coming in with that uh, with that triple option. But, um, mm. yeah, I just remember, like, he called every player. Half the players were wrong. Like, half the <laughs> names were wrong. And it's just like, oh, this is awesome. This is totally, they, like, didn't even do any prep for this game. This is great. But, you know, I, we lo- that said, we love the Sun Bowl. It's a fun bowl. We've sent people there. Um, that's last that's Yeah,
2: that, that was the Sun Bowl where there were all the... I don't know if it was rumors or reports about USA players getting fights or suspended or something like that. The Sun Bowl is always a complete... feels like something always goes down at the Sun Bowl every year. Yes. The fact, the fact that Pitt is there, bringing back memories of the pre... I don't know if it was their last Sun Bowl appearance, but their most famous Sun Bowl appearance. Um,
1: that was the one where Georgia Tech only got there because of a special exemption, right? Because like the two the two teams ahead of them in the ACC standings were ineligible so they got sent as 6 and 6 to the championship game and lost so they technically were 6 and 7 and everybody's like well it's not really oh, yeah, your fault you're we're right. 6 yeah. and 7 so we're going to let right. you go to a bowl game anyway
2: they almost won then, that they almost won that ACC championship game too
1: yeah <laughs> that was kind of just a wild season for them in general i mean it, the weirdest way to finish the year seven and seven
2: seven and seven is my favorite record in college football it it, (laughs) it happens every once in a while i think north texas did it once Uh, georgia tech did it that year
1: always love seven and seven with no hawaii game is like that's hard mode
2: yes i think hawaii might have done a seven and seven recently too although it makes sense for them
1: ron i think you should have hopefully been able to join us now i can see you at least so um you got a question
3: Uh not a question just it's a comment because we're getting close to ball season it's my uh yearly complaining that the fiesta ball is no longer sponsored by tostitos Ugh. That that made way too much sense way too much sense and they need to bring that back That
2: that it's that one still hurts to not t- I think it's verbo now
3: which, yes. it, was, yes. it sure. was weird when they did that one year of verbo not verbo uh, battle a ba- battle frog, frog. yes I still, the battle, battle I,
2: still, I still don't know what battle frog is
3: <laughs> i looked it up it's i'm pretty sure if it's if i'm remembering correctly it's like a international crossfit competition that's basically <laughs> okay. what it is
0: it's one of those like iron man it's not iron man but you know where people go through crazy like almost like Marine training, but on on like steroids where it's just like you do bonkers stuff the whole time. But again, I was like, where are they getting this money? And then, you know, clearly they may not have had. I mean, Duck Commander was the other fiasco because that was such a fiasco. The Independence Bowl never received a dime. And I think they actually paid, ended up paying out a little bit to get that one year and done, you know, mess up that they had Duck Commander.
2: I'd gotten you. I'd gotten used to the PlayStation Fiesta bowl. You know, they brought back the old Fiesta bowl logo, so I kind of I'd gotten accustomed to it. And now it's not PlayStation anymore. Now it's Verbo, and so these things get confusing. Tostitos, what are you doing? How did you get out of this? Are they owned it's- by the Frito Lake company? I don't know who owns Tostitos, but like that was the most that was the most perfect bowl sponsor we've ever had. It was just. The Tostitos Fiesta Bowl, like it just rolled. Up. It it made sense. It's like the Outback Bowl. We lost the Outback Bowl now, and it's like, is nothing sacred anymore? It's it's not. It's not. It just
3: felt right, you know. Yeah. that was, That's the issue. Yeah.
2: PepsiCo just let us all down. For all the Tostitos, you know, it was yeah. it was perfect.
3: Also, a few weeks ago, we spent a long time current uh, talking about uh, Deion Sanders, and I don't think anybody predicted him actually going to Colorado. That actually blew me away that that happened. Well,
2: the fact that he was pretty open about the fact that he had the offer from Colorado, I think kind of signaled to be like, hey, guys, I've got this job. Anybody want to come hire me instead of Colorado? And I don't think he got the interest that he wanted to. And so he ends up going to Boulder. Uh, Obviously, Auburn was not interested. Some of these other places didn't work. Georgia Tech was never really going to be a fit, I don't think. Um, And so he ends up at Colorado, which good for the Pac-12, you know, because the Pac-12 – has needed some positive momentum. It has been a tough few years for the Pac 12. They cost themselves another spot in the CFP. They're losing USC and UCLA. Still don't know about the media deal. But now you got Dion coming in, and that's going to be just excitement no matter what. So good for the pac 12 to get, the, did, to get the I, I
0: have to ask you chris did you love that response that was reported today where they asked the ad how are you planning to pay for dion and he was like don't know but we'll figure it out you know I was just yeah like, what?
2: I, I don't um i didn't see i only saw the the tweet i didn't see if there was a clip of it anywhere exactly how he said it but like these schools don't always have the money that they say they have they're they're you know, they'll announce plant, they're announcing that they're opening a new indoor practice facility but they haven't actually raised the money for it yet so it, it like it 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 could kind of be in that same boat uh but to hear an ad just straight up say it was uh, surprising but look I mean, he's he's making he's making like 2 2 million more than Carl Durrell did and this is this is the kind of money that they lost Mel Tucker over because Michigan State doubled Mel Tucker's salary and the assistant salary pool uh, after after one year there, so Colorado didn't have the money for a while. And that was a concern about their search and how it was was going. And you know, other people were very very in on the job, ended up not wanting the job. But now Dion's got the job, and apparently they're going to change some admissions stuff so they can get better transfers. So I, they're going all in on Dion here.
0: Well, here's
3: how you pay for coaches coaches that you can't afford. And this is the last thing I'll say before I have to go. Um, What you do is you pay pay them anyways, you go in debt, and then you beg the governor to forgive the debt like Rutgers did. And and that's how you do it.
2: That's that's not a bad idea. I don't know if it'll work in Colorado, but that's not a bad idea.
3: All right, well, thanks for taking my call, guys. (laughs) Always, man.
0: You know, uh, gosh, when we were talking about, you know, good sponsorships, my favorite sponsorship, because I didn't even know there was a company involved, was the Great Western Forum. Because I grew up knowing it as the Great Western Forum. And it's a bank called Great Western. They they no longer exist. They were were bought in 97. But that was the – that, I think, is in the pantheon of great sponsorships. Because when you heard great – Yeah.
2: Yeah, I only found out it was a sponsor, like, this year when they, like – when I saw a, a wrestling show there and it's called like the Kia. Kia. Firm, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, wait, why is it not the great Western forum? Oh, that was a sponsor. I had no idea. So I don't know if that's a good sponsorship or a bad sponsorship because nobody associated it with the bank
0: indeed you know by the way what do you think which of the bowl games is you the least in like the and we always know that we could say this is this bowl is probably going to be boring and that could be the one that goes into like seven overtimes but which matchup are you least interested in or the one that you're kind of like oh okay i guess these two these two got stuck together
2: uh, are we counting like six and six g5 teams because i'm thinking like rice and southern miss in the lending tree bowl I think that used to be the Dollar General Bowl and the GMAC Bowl. It's in Mobile. I mean, yeah. that's a 5-7 team and a 6-6 six and six team. I I, I I like those teams, but it's not the most exciting matchup. I'm kind of scrolling through everything else here. New Mexico State versus Bowling Green in the Quick Lane Bowl. Kind of another one of those. How about I'll tell the, you, here, here's a Power either. 5 one, though. Here's a Power 5 one, though. Wisconsin-Oklahoma State. Not looking forward to that, really. It's going to be 10, 15 o'clock Eastern in what used to be the Cheez-It Bowl, used to be the Copper Bowl, used to be the Inside Bowl, now the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. Not looking forward to that one very
0: much. Yeah, I'm, I'm, always, I'm really curious to see how that Kentucky-Iowa game is because somebody had to get paired up with Iowa. And, you know, it's going to be in Nashville, Music City Bowl. A lot of people are going to end up seeing it because it it's on ABC, so it's going to be accessible to most fans. But that one less intrigued about that one.
2: I can't believe they're playing the same team two years in a row in a Like I know it's happened before, but like of the two teams you would not want to put back together, back to back, these are the two teams. Last year's game was seventeen to twenty. Uh, I think Kentucky had a late touchdown, if I recall. It might have been Wendell Robinson or something. I, I don't. But yeah, that's kind of another one of those like ugh, games.
1: And there were some like extracurriculars too, weren't there? With that, with that bowl game last that, year, that that
2: sounds familiar. That sounds familiar.
1: With with one of their kind, of Kentucky star players, I want to say, I, I don't. They all
2: blur together the years and the bowls. Something, yeah. Like that probably.
1: I feel yeah. On the Wisconsin one, it, it there may be a little bit of a wrinkle there with the news about Fickle maybe having some kind of a role coaching the team in some form or fashion. Um. I mean, we've seen bowl games where, the coach, where a new coach has been in attendance and he's going you know, to just kind of like watch it from a box or something like that. But um, actually having some kind of coaching duties would be a relatively unusual setup, I think.
2: The last time I remember that happening was when Sonny Dykes took the SMU job and coached in the Frisco Bowl like two days later <laughs> because Chad Morris had left for Arkansas, took like the whole staff with him. It was Sonny Dykes and a bunch of GAs. They played Louisiana Tech. They turned the ball over, I think, on their first three possessions of the game and uh, got blown out. It did not go well. Uh, I don't know why Luke Fickle would coach this game, especially if Jim Leonard is on your staff. I would just have Leonard coaching. You just kind of be on the fly on the wall. I, I don't know. It, it, it does seem weird to me.
0: How long do you think it's going to be until Cincy replaces Fickle?
2: Pretty soon, it should be – there have been people around the search who ended up going elsewhere, down to potentially Sean Lewis, Mo Mo Linguist, maybe a couple other names getting in it late because I don't know if people are thrilled about hiring a Mac coach with a sub-500 record. I I, I don't know. This – I don't think it's – it should be wrapped up pretty soon just because all of these things are going pretty quickly because of the timing. But I, this could this could, uh, this could, could go a few different ways still.
0: You know, I know I was talking to a fan of Fresno State because obviously they win the Mountain West. And they are a little disappointed because they get stuck with a middle-of-the-pack Pac-12 team. And they've got Wazoo. And from what I understand, they somehow... Just from the vagarities of, of the way the Bulls are picked in the Pac 12, they got a, technically, I think they got a team that was lower ranked than they, than they typically would have. And I'm sure there was some reason for that, probably another, uh, you know, how they, they pick maybe who will show up. And Wazoo isn't necessarily known as being a team that shows up in Southern California. I still remember that infamous Rose Bowl with um, Oklahoma. When that was the year where, oh gosh, the Orange Bowl used to pull the trick out of the BCS hat and got to pick twice in a row, so they got that Iowa USC match. Oh yeah, and, and then the Rose Bowl was horrified because they got stuck with well, they didn't they didn't get stuck, but Wazoo was a Pac twelve champ, and then they got you know a, a, a non traditional matchup, but and then Wazoo didn't show up. Like Oklahoma fans showed up, but the Wazoo fans were they were actually open sections in that stadium. So here we got the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl. And Fresno State fans are hyped. They're going to show up because a lot of Fresno State fans in Southern California, obviously. But they're a little disappointed by the, the matchup there. And I kind of I kind of get it because it is seems like a bit of a shame where the, the best team in the Mountain West still has to play someone in the middle of the pack.
2: Look, if I had my way, I would have all kinds of group of five, power five bowl matchups. But it's just unfortunately not the way these things are. You know, they don't, I don't. They don't typically want to play group of five teams in bowls, and understandably, they they may not travel as well for the most part. So I'd like I get why, but I wish I wish we could see UTSA against a power five team. I wish we could get Troy against a power five team instead of them playing each other. It's basically just like that year they had um, Boise, Boise State
1: versus TCU. TCU.
2: In the Fiesta Bowl, and I think, and I think, and I think, one year in the Poinsettia Bowl, I think they did it as well. Uh, it's like that. I wish we could get group of five champs playing Power Five teams. It's just unfortunately not the way the bowl tie ins are set up. Um, but remember, last year Utah State beat Oregon State in this game. The Mountain West champ did so. Uh, so it's um, it's it's an opportunity for the Mountain West to put a feather in its cap. Mountain West, I think, won the bowl cup last year and. Pac-12 was terrible in bowl games last year. So, uh, yeah, it, it, those are the spots where if you want to be like, hey, we're a group of five champion, we'd be pretty good in a power five league. These are the games you got to win.
1: The Mountain West championship game itself was was kind of a, a bit unusual too because, you know, Boise State had some out-of-conference losses, which is, you know, historically for the past you know, like 15 years has been a little atypical. And then turns it on for conference play and runs the table, and then the team that they blew out in the regular season comes back and handles them pretty handily, all things considered. It's kind of a, a wild whiplash of a season for the Broncos this year.
2: Well, yeah, it, it turns out for Fresno State, it turns out having Jake Hayner make, makes a difference. You know, they started one and four. Hayner got hurt against – you. you know, they lose on the last play of the game to Oregon State – Hayner gets hurt against USC. They lose to UConn. They lose to Boise. Um, he comes, you know, they, they get the win or two. He comes back, and they haven't lost since. they won eight games in a row. So this is the Fresno State we expected coming into the season. I think Jake Hayner's injury just kind of threw a real wrench into things. And, and for Boise, yeah, you know, you fire the OC after, what, two or three games, Hank Bachmeyer goes in the portal, and you're like, I don't know if Andy Avalos is going to make it much longer at Boise State. They rally. They win all the rest of their games except for the BYU game. Andy Avalos is coach of the year. Taylen Green looks like a future stud at quarterback. He got so much better as the year goes on. But then you lose to Fresno State at home, and that kind of puts a real damper on the real momentum I think you thought you had. So we kind of go into the offseason perhaps with a few more questions about Boise State than we had.
0: You know, I just have to say that the bowl pairing I like, just because the climate matches the teams, is the pinstripe bowl. You've got Syracuse and Minnesota playing outside in New York. They, those are the two teams where I'm like, okay, that, that they'll be ready for it. They'll actually match it. Now, I don't know. I'm sure Syracuse can bring fans into that. I'm not sure it's going to be packed. But the Minnesota fans, you know, they're not getting their traditional, you know, sun, sunny, uh, sunbelt sort of vacation down south somewhere, either, you know, preferably in Arizona or Florida. But when I saw that matchup, I kind of, being here in Minnesota, <laughs> it kind of warmed my heart a bit.
1: <clears throat> the uh, the bad boy mowers pinstripe bowl. Don't forget that part. Oh, is
0: that is, what
2: it is now?
1: Is that what it is now? Yeah, we, we lost them on the Gasparilla Bowl, which I think was also one that was kind of like, The one that has a parade with these crazy, you know, Mardi Gras-esque floats and everything um, with the bad boy mowers sponsorship. Like it kinda it fit. And now we get it with the pinstripe bowl in New York. I think of the
0: Yankees. I think of bad boy mowers. I mean, (laughs) who doesn't think about like, you know
2: I mean Yankee Stadium is about the only grass that you can mow in New York?
1: With the kind of mowers (laughs) that bad boy makes, sure. I mean, like, maybe there's a market for you know, plug in electric mowers like push mowers, but
0: uh maybe but most of the New way.
1: York City. I don't think you, I don't think you need a zero turn.
2: <laughs> this reminds me of the of the, the the old Zaxby's heart of Dallas bowl. Uh there is not a Zaxby's in Dallas. That was always weird to me.
1: <laughs> Classic. Maybe maybe the New York zero turn mower refers to how many times you actually literally have to turn around when you're mowing your lawn. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just one swipe.
2: Well, So for, for the pinstripe bowl, um, uh, keep in your thoughts, uh, the media who have to cover that game. Yankee stadium is an open air press box. Oh. Uh, they, they give out uh, knitted hats and gloves to the media who have to attend, but it's generally considered, a mi- it's a miserable experience to cover that game. I've been told, although the Yankees also do a first class job of treating the teams. Well, uh, that's one thing I've heard like, the people who organize that do a very good job for the teams. Um, but tough. Uh, it's a tough one for the media out there. So keep them in your thoughts and prayers.
1: That's amazing. I guess the, the upside is that, you know, if they did have a shrimp cocktail platter, you wouldn't have to worry about it getting to be room temperature. Hey, you way. know
0: what? They keep teasing me about this because you were at, you know, I, I thought the Lucas Oil Stadium spread was great last January. And uh, <laughs> those, uh, you know, uh, oh, God, what is it called? Um no, those shrimp, those giant shrimp. I forgot the name. Elmo's? Of it like yes. St. Elmo's? The Elmo's, I Yeah. I
1: wasn't even there. <laughs>
0: I just I like shared a photo s- of the shrimp. hand. It's like you're eating room temperature shrimp in Indiana. I'm like, when you say it that way, when you say it that way, yes, it sounds like an alarming thing. But um, <laughs> they'll be able to keep them on ice in New York. Well, Chris, I, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. We know it's been really busy, that surprise, you know. You know, Seth Luttrell. I mean, not a shocker, but just the timing of it was was kind of out of nowhere in the evening. But we appreciate you taking time to come back and talk to us. It's it's always wonderful talking to you.
2: Yeah, it's it's quite an interesting weekend as well. Because remember, a couple of years ago, Seth Latrell almost took the Kansas State job, and they they couldn't come together on an agreement on some things. He stays at North Texas. Now he's fired one day after Chris Kleiman wins the Big 12 at Kansas State. So timing is everything with, with the coaching cycle. Got to have the right guy at the right time, the right availability. You never know. Coaching carousel is going to continue to spin. There will always be a big surprise uh, or two late in the cycle. So a lot still to go. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Absolutely. Thanks. Sirius, do you have some final thoughts? Just thinking
1: back to, you know, earlier in the season, actually it might've been right before the season kicked off where, uh, you know, we had discussed, um, North Texas and kind of how surprising it was to see Seth Littrell on the hot seat. Um, and obviously now he's been fired, but given where he was just a few years ago, like Chris had said, um, he was on the short list for some positions, had a lot of hype about maybe getting pulled up to P five and he decided to stick it out. Um, couldn't find the right fit, couldn't come to the right agreement. And then you can see just how quickly, you know, the sands have shifted for him. Um, Really, you know, it kind of reinforces the whole thing. It's great to see coaches want to stick around and build something, Um, you know, especially when you're talking about a G5 or an FCS coach. But at the same time, you can understand why it is so hard for them to turn down the opportunity, the money, Um, That's involved with making that jump up to P5, because, or even from a lower level P5 to a higher one, just because things change so quickly in the sport.
0: Yeah. There's so many what ifs and and how they did. And part of me is also just thinking about, you know, Deion Sanders' decision to take that Colorado job. Because, again, I was, I think a fair number of people were surprised that was where he was willing to to agree to rather than perhaps play another season or coach another season, pardon me, at Jackson State. But, you know, he did his move, and I was impressed. He released the video of him telling his team. Um, We shared that on Twitter, and you can look it up. It was a YouTube clip of him telling the team that he was taking that new position. Yeah, I don't think he even said Colorado initially. He just was basically, because that was irrelevant. He was just basically telling them, yep, I'm moving on, and telling his players not to necessarily all jump into the portal only because he was like, you know, we'll be there for you, but make sure, you know, you figure out where you're going to do best. I, I, It was interesting. It was just a fascinating listen. I, I I thought, you know, if you've never heard a coach give that kind of a talk, it was it was a good listen, and I recommend looking that one up. But all of that said, well, go ahead.
1: I, I, You know, I can't believe that he didn't go with the classic Tommy Tuberville approach of, um, you know, like sending out a – was it a text – to the team that he was leaving, and that was <laughs> that was the that was the notification um, when he went from Texas Tech to Cincinnati. I think it was. You know, was he just, in the middle
0: of? Was he the one who was in the middle of like a dinner with a uh, with a pr- with a recruit, recruit? recruit? And then he got the text from his agent that it was finalized. He's like, "All right, gonna go see ya." <laughs> just
3: like, yeah,
1: man. yeah, just 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 skipped out, you know, entirely. Um, some coaches do it with some respect to the team that they're leaving, and some coaches definitely do not. Um, kind of, you know repeated denials, no, I'm not going anywhere, no, I'm not going anywhere, and the next thing you know, it's like, oh, yep, peace, I'm out. Um, It'll be interesting to see, you know, because Dion talked a really big game about the HBCUs and the HBCU experience to see what happens in the next couple of months with this transition, Um, especially is, you know, are we going to see a a Lincoln-Riley-type situation where a lot of recruits, Um, and a lot of players follow him. Um, is that something he's going to be going to seek out or is this going to be a case where, you know, he's, he's not going to try to bring anybody over. We know he's going to, you know, he's got some kids on the team of his own. So he's already (laughs) mentioned basically that they're going to be coming with him. Um, interestingly, Brent Venables, when he went to Oklahoma, did not do that. His son stayed at Clemson. Um, so, uh, It'll be interesting to see how much talent he pulls with him to Colorado um, or if he kind of, you know, takes a more hands-off approach and and doesn't just raid them of whatever talent that, you know, he had built up there.
0: I agree. And I got to say Colorado in a lot of ways got, I'm not going to say the biggest win in this coaching cycle, but one of the biggest surprises because that was a team that was, just listing, because uh, even before the season, there was a good article, I believe in The Athletic, actually, uh, which, of course, Chris was from, uh, writing about what had happened to Colorado, where they had gone from being one of the top three schools represented in the NFL. It was like Miami, Notre Dame, and then Colorado for a while there, it, you know, about oh, 15 years ago, and how they had kind of fallen to where they are now. And if you're going to turn it around, and I think part of the, they actually, I forgot who the coach was, but they interviewed him. is like, it looked easier than it. <laughs> it must've looked a lot easier to those at home, but it was actually really hard to keep this, this program to where it was. And, you know, you know, splitting a national title and all of that stuff. But, you know, if there was someone who's going to make that splash, potentially get Colorado back on the right track, Hey, I'll give him credit. I mean, it, when, if he doesn't get it, line, but the fact that they got Deion Sanders is is a lot, and I think that'll help excite a lot of fans up there in Boulder and and across the state of Colorado. But I mean, he he definitely comes with a better coaching reputation right now
1: than Carl Durrell did. I always thought that was a real head-scratcher of a hire for Colorado. Um, Not really sure what they were were thinking with that decision. Um, And I mean, we all saw how it turned out. It was not a great experience um so we'll see if if you know rick george did a better better job this time with the with the deon sanders hire
0: absolutely yeah and i, and I was just think, looking back the that real good stretch for colorado is when they had bill mccartney rick newheisel which he was excellent there and then he moved on to washington and then gary barnett those that were those three and barnett had his own kind of mess off the field stuff that started to happen with the team but they won a lot and, and then they just went through Dan Hawkins, who was a shocker. I am still surprised how bad of a failure that was. Now he's doing great again at FCS, at his alma mater at UC Davis. You know, John Embry, Mike McIntyre, another surprise didn't quite work out. Mel Tucker, who was just poached immediately. And then Carl Durrell. And yeah, and now we've got Dion. So there we go. Um, <laughs> well, You know, this has been, we've been on for a little over an hour. I think this is typically when we'd like to wrap up. This was RCFB Talk 114, 114. We had the Athletics' Chris Vannini. So on behalf of myself, Bobby Cairi, on behalf of Sirius, thank you all for joining us. We hope you have a great rest of your Sunday evening. Now I'm going to hang up and listen.